FCC and the government. That was my overwhelming feeling. It wasn't about yeah. making money. It was I just didn't want people to think I was lame. They were editing exactly. my show, That's and it really wasn't my it. sense of humor. Yeah, the language you just was don't being want people changed. People to think like, do do will do do I think that this guy's head with flames washing over it is a good ending to a movie? Like, yes. no, but people are going to think that I think that, and that is alarming to me. Yes, they'll when think they, I'm crazy, they'll think I don't when, know how to make a movie. You know, um, yeah, it's upsetting. <laughs> when they would edit my show, I'd say somebody out there in Radioville thinks that I that lame joke that I just told that. I endorse it in some way. You know, you write in the book, and I was moved by this. You said, at the time that movie was coming out, the guys at the studio wanted me to do interviews and lie to people. And actually, I was kind of shocked because I'm reading the book, and you go, and I'm, and you go, I'm not going to go on the Howard Stern show and lie to him because he'll pick up on it. (laughs) It was really kind of, you know, I always get startled when I see my name in somebody's book, but you're right. In other words, I would have said to you, gee, do you think lighting a guy's head on fire is really that funny or whatever? And you would, and they wanted you to say, it's the greatest joke ever. And yeah. that's the most insulting part, isn't it? It really is. And that, and the fact that they said specifically, they, he, Michael Linton, the guy who was the head of Sony said specifically, like, you have to lie about this in press because he was savvy enough to know that that would be like the real, friction point you know like you can change the movie but you can't control what people say about it but he knew that if i was around going out saying that they ruined the end of my movie that that would quickly take over any other narrative with the movie and just be very damaging for the studio in general other people wouldn't want to work with them no one wants to work with a studio is known for taking away its movies from um its filmmakers you know um so yeah he asked me to lie about it. he asked me to say We'll, we're going to change the end of the movie and I want you to go around pretending that you made this choice. Um, and it was, it's a fucked up thing to ask someone. You know what, <laughs> it, Seth? It was, uh, it really was, it was super fucked up and I didn't do it. I said no. Well, first I said yes. And then in the book I illustrate that night was the premiere and I took a ton of MDMA and uh, had a revelation while high that I could not lie to people about the movie. (laughs) And then went in the next morning while still on uh, probably more drugs than I should have been to talk to the head of Sony and told him I would not lie about the movie and they should not assume I will. And and he uh, finally kind of (laughs) caved on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Reading the book, I'm so amazed by so, you have made so many decisions while high. That, uh, <laughs> I know. Know, so many things have happened in your life. You're so relaxed about it. But but I was curious. I was I was shocked by some of your honesty because there's this unwritten rule in Hollywood, especially uh, people who make movies and get financing for movies. Naming some of these people who have asked you to do shit. Um, were you nervous? Seriously, writing this book, because I can think of about 10 people in this book, and I'll name them, who I think are going to dislike you very much because you're very (laughs) honest about your interactions with them. And and, and I love that you didn't censor yourself. I love it. It makes for great reading. But some of Um, these stories make some people look really fucking stupid. (laughs) <laughs> are they people that don't already look stupid i guess is what. <laughs> um, i don't know yeah well yeah they do i don't know right. the truth is i don't know either <laughs> you know, <laughs> <told> me. <laughs> i don't know i hope i mean truthfully i tried i really thought 
Okay, well, this just makes some people look dumb. Uh, maybe I look dumb all the time. I don't think looking dumb right. is. You like make yourself look dumb too. Right? I look yes. like yes, like, um, and I don't think looking dumb. I think everyone should look dumb every now and then. You know what I mean? There's some people I probably go a little harder at, and I did ask myself like. Do I actually think this would damage their career in any way? Like, cause that, like, I don't care if these people don't like me is, is, is right. the truth. <laughs> cause I, you know, I, 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 ton of, I assume, I assume most people don't like me as I go around and interact with people in the world. Um, so it's fine with me, you know, uh, and I, and I see these people very rarely. Years will go. I might never see them ever again. Who knows, you know? Um, well, so will yeah. you, do you get nervous? That yeah. let's you know being in L.A. or something, you go to a restaurant and there's Nicolas Cage, and you wrote yeah. about Nicolas Cage extensively in your book around the He's movie so The Green strange. Hornet. I don't know how he absorbs this. You <laughs> 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 might like I it. Don't, I honestly don't know if he comes over. And he's like, yeah, that was like like funny funny chapter. Like I truly, I truly don't know how a lot of these people absorb anything in general. So it's also hard to predict. How they will react to this kind of thing, but it's I don't such know. a great, but it's such a great story because I've met Nicolas Cage and he he's a real let's call him eccentric. He's a he character. is eccentric, yeah, yes. great actor. And you say he's a great actor. You wanted him to be in the Green Hornet. I'm a You're, huge fan of his, and I'm still a huge fan yes. of his. And I and, and yeah, I I, I hope I, that he doesn't do something that doesn't allow stop me from being able to watch his movies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he has but, that. But power, the story but. goes, you wanted Nicolas Cage. In the Green, I, I mean, there's so many funny stories about the Green Hornet, like the guy you there wanted is. to, uh, the, yeah, but, but you wanted Nicholas Cage. I'm doing Cage. the audiobook and I just got, I was getting the director, Michelle Gaudry, to record all of his lines for the audiobook and it was just <laughs> so funny, uh, rehashing all this stuff with him. <laughs> but the story was that, that, that you had this idea that he could be a villain yeah. in the movie and he met with you on it and he yeah. started to do a character for you, which was a white Jamaican with an accent and a whole thing. Yes. And yes. he did this for you. And you were like, what the fuck is this? I, I, don't, I don't know what this criminal is. I don't know what yeah. he's talking about. And you thought it was just not right for the movie to be kind, right? Yeah, it was not. It was, yeah, it was, uh, the studio was very enthusiastic about Nicolas Cage being in the movie to the point that they were, and, and I, again, like, I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan, but as I state in the book, there's a lot of Nicolas Cages. There's, and I think even Nicolas Cage would acknowledge there's, there's many Nicolas Cages, and you don't know what Nicolas Cage you're gonna get. There's, right. there's Wicker Man Nicolas Cage, there's Face Off Nicolas Cage, there's, you know, there's Leaving Las Vegas Nicolas Cage, there's Peggy Sue. Gets married. <laughs> exactly. Then there's Peggy Sue got married. There's right. there's a wide there's Ghost Rider. There's a wide array of Nicholas Cages out there, and the dude takes again to his credit big swings. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, we heard. So there was a few preliminary phone calls. Which, yeah, the the thing that I that stuck out of my head is at first he was like <laughs> i want a tattoo hair on my head um i can be a bald guy with hair tattooed on his head and i want a big fake uh edward robinson uh lips um 
<laughs> and we were like, okay. And we were kind of wrapping our heads around it. And then we got a call a few days later where he's like, you know, I actually don't want to do the hair tattooed on my head thing for the movie because I'm thinking I might want to do it in real life. And, and I remember <laughs> laughing. I remember like I remember like that, like laughing hysterically when he said it on the phone, and then stopping and realizing it wasn't a joke. Like I remember being like, "Oh, good one. Oh, he's totally serious." Um, and so, so then there was a while where we didn't know what he wanted, and then we got a phone call where he wants to play a white uh, Bahamian man uh, from the Bahamas, essentially a white. Uh, we it was pitched as like a white Jamaican guy, basically, right. Uh, right. which we were uh, set off a lot of alarms. I would say to us, <laughs> in a lot of ways. not a white, not that a white Jamaican man is bad, but doing the accent and all this stuff just seemed like it was a, a world of trouble that we that we did not, you know, if he was like a British colonialist, that would maybe be right. a more <laughs> in the, a realistic take on it. But um, yeah, he. So there was a meet. We, we were like, I don't know if it's a good idea. It just seems. Gary Oldman kind of did it a long time ago and that even has not aged well, you know? Right. Um, And so we were like... Amy, the head of the studio, was like, let's just talk. We'll all get to my house and we'll talk and and you'll meet Nick and in person and you can talk about it. And and I remember driving there with Evan, my partner, and just being like, I just don't want him to do it in front of us. Like, I'll just be so uncomfortable. Like, I don't know, I don't know how I'll react. I don't know. Yeah, he's Nicolas Cage. Yeah, like, what do you do? Like, it's just, it's just weird, you know? And I remember Evan being like, he's not going to do it. Like, obviously, like, you'll talk about it. He won't like launch into it. Like, that's just would be too, too much. <laughs> and, like, we literally like we show up at the house and within 60 seconds, we're all like seated in the living room as he stands in front of us, like reciting like a monologue in a Jamaican accent. <laughs> we're just like, it's happening. And a monologue, I should add. That is not in the script. Like, right. nor does it have anything to do with the script. At which point I'm like, I don't think he's even read the script, honestly. I don't think he has any idea. Like, there is no indication that he had any idea what film we were trying to make in any way, really. Um, other than that it was called The Green Hornet and there was a villain in it. Um, and so, so he does his whole thing. Um, green on it. It was like, I remember just being like, oh no. And then it ends and he's kind of like, it's as though like he's just like landed like a backflip and like he's waiting for the reaction applause at which point everyone just. Everyone looks to me to like <laughs> to express the group reaction to this, and I was like, again, I, I'm so uncomfortable, and I'm not good at, uh, you know, again, my acting skills anything. in general right. are he, up for debate. Yeah, all that stuff's off. I was just like, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I was like, it was okay, cool, thanks. We should talk about it. That's not how we pictured the character, and I clearly didn't give him the reaction that he wanted because he instantly just like fe- like was like sullen. <laughs> Like, uh. to, 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 and then, uh, Amy's trying to recover. She's like, well, I'll sit down for dinner. And then we sit down and almost right away, he just gets up and he's like, I gotta go. And he just gets up and leaves. And you bummed like, him out. You can do that? That's, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know we could be doing that. He just, no left. goodbye, nothing. Nothing. No, he nope. said, no. he literally said, I got, I think he said, I, I, I gotta go do something. And then he got up and left. And kind of like, it wasn't no goodbye. It was kind of like, eh, like, you know, a, a brisk wave at a watch out the door. <laughs> yeah. But I do think back and think 
maybe we should have just gone for it, honestly. You want to know something, Seth? When I was reading about it in your book, I went, I got to admit, I want to see that movie. I don't know what the I fuck do I could have yeah. It's not like the movie was well-received as it was. It would have just been yet another element that, as an but agent the, of chaos, it would have been interesting to see. But here is the most brilliant. here is the most brilliant observation that you made in your book regarding this and everything about Hollywood. And it really is quite brilliant. And I remember I underlined it because I, I didn't want to forget about it. I even wrote it down. You were talking about the craziness of Hollywood and actors. But you said musicians are even crazier. And I <laughs> said, this is a brilliant observation. And, and, and tell me if I have it right. Yeah. You said actors set up this weird world of theirs because they're pampered and all this. But they have to interact with a movie crew, they have mm -hmm. to interact, they have to act normal around people. Musicians can set up their own universe because they don't yes. have to be around any normal people. So they're Zero. even wackier yes. than actors. They're, they're totally and I went, He's insulated. right. Yeah, you're 100% you right. Most people, I assume, yes. honestly. Like, There's no reality to a musician's life. No, I'm sure you notice just a different vibe in the studio when there's a famous musician there than when there's like a famous comedian in the studio yes. or something like that. You know, I'm sure yeah. you're, I'm sure mostly the people behind the scenes who are organizing all this notice a very different vibe in the studio when there's a, but famous you're right musician. because Nicolas Cage on occasion has to deal with some normal people like yourself who are saying, gee, this, this has nothing to do with my movie. It's great that this character yeah, like, is everyone does. And if you watch a movie and I've seen it i've seen the most famous people like you just and, and now and when i watch movies i read like you watch once upon a time in hollywood and you're just like oh like right now brad pitt's in a scene with just like some guy and like knowing how films are worked like they're alone in this car together for 14 hours you know what i mean like like it's like like he can't avoid this guy like he's being forced to interact with this person who by all means is like a guy who probably has it makes you know like seventy thousand dollars a year and has a very normal life you know um and and a musician never has to be in that situation literally ever like when when a it's musician's true. in a car with james corden is probably like the most normal person they're in a car <laughs> with ever like exactly. they never have to they can completely pick and choose every human they interact with ever and then they walk onto their their world of this tour and this the, you know these stadiums and the the studio i've been to studios with musicians which is a very weird environment as well it's very curated it's very specific um and yeah it's you know it, 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 you were able to just not to say actors are not able to do this but i think with much greater ease you were able to completely dissociate from any reality if you are a musician that you, well, you are. read if about the life goal. you read about the life of like prince you know who had like yeah. you know these bizarre eating habits and and he had he would eat at 5 in the morning his you know dinner and 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 everything was backwards in his life yeah. and <laughs> he'd show up in his ro purple robes and with high heels on and like and all of it is treated as normal because he yeah. can literally interact with whoever he wants to yeah, and if there was time. someone who looked at him weird he'd he'd get rid of that person that's right <laughs> <laughs> what you even said you had this revelation about the acting world and the musicians world you were backstage at the Grammys when you had this revelation. You said it was yeah. so fucking wacky. 
Like everybody had their own green room and their own set of yeah. rules, and it was crazy. Yeah, it was really yeah. The Grammys were like yeah. I'd been to a lot of award shows. I've I presented Oscars before. I've been you know I, I but I had never been to a music award show, and to see the infrastructure that was set up to accommodate three dozen famous musicians was staggering and yeah like the oscars you're all kind of thrown together there's just one room where you know it's just like leonardo dicaprio's vaping in this corner and dustin hoffman's in this corner and everyone's just kind of like you know like jennifer Aniston's just like sitting on the like the arm of a chair <laughs> she's talking to someone it's like it, it's like us it's what you would imagine and then you go backstage at the grammys and it's like every musician has their own one of those <laughs> filled yeah. with their own people <laughs> their own entourages <laughs> and they never see anyone else there's 40 little different parties going on for each personal musician uh, well yeah, you even was, wow. you, you, yeah and you even told a throwaway kind of story but i know this kind of embarrassment and shame because i've had it happen to me 20 times backstage at these events where i don't like going because i don't want to know if someone doesn't like me i don't want to know if no. someone's in pots i don't want to know any of that shit and so you tell you talk about how like you you like you saw Beyonce backstage and you go, hey cool, I'll go say you know, and you're like, gee, I don't know if I should say hello or not, but why not? I'm a fan yeah. and I'm gonna say hello. And you walk up and then suddenly the bodyguard comes out from nowhere, puts out a stiff arm and like literally like bashes you in the fucking head to to yeah. prevent you from getting near this queen, wow. you know, Beyonce. Yes, and it, it's it's humiliating and it's ridiculous. it was humiliating. And I was drinking a screwdriver, which is a a bad drink. And I and I and he hit me so hard, I I dumped it all over myself, um, oh. and got screwdriver all over my suit. And literally one second after that, a PA came up to me and said, uh, "We're ready for you to introduce Rihanna and Eminem now. We need you on stage." <laughs> And, and I, I remember having to like position my arms in like a funny way to kind of like cover up the state. And I actually found a picture. I was like, is it as weird as it was in my head? And I found a picture of me presenting at the Grammys that I put in the book and my arms very much are in a very awkward position, clearly to cover up the stain. But yeah, you gotta, you can't just run up on someone like Beyonce. You gotta show, no, you gotta, but you gotta show is, reverence. You can't you gotta, come in yes, The same thing happened to me and Lil Wayne once actually years ago <laughs> at the MTV Awards. I saw him from far away and I got excited and ran over and tried to say hi and it was literally as though like a baseball bat hit me in the <laughs> chest and, and a giant man uh, stopped me from going anywhere near him. And, uh, but this is the reality that you're talking about. It, it is yeah. bizarre. You talk about an odd world. This is where people live in some sort of bizarro land where they think they can hire a big guy to sit there and, and stiff arm a whole bunch of people they and can. they set up <laughs> yeah they can do it they get they get away with it um you also wrote about um you know first of all you also wrote about the fact that uh, and i love this you you bring up your jewishness with such a casual a casual manner because being jewish is complex i think especially yes no, you know, no. uh, just growing up and being an outsider and all this, and, and you write about it so well. But you said there's not a lot of cool Jews out there, but Bob Dylan was on the top of the list for you, and <laughs> yes. that uh, and and that um, James Khan is uh, a tough Jew, which there weren't a lot of uh, sort not of role of models. Yeah, why is Bob Dylan so cool? He just he's, is. 
he's a rock because he's like a rock star Jew, which yeah, is not yeah. a common Jew <laughs> Jew type. There was I was yeah. at dinner with Nick Kroll once, and we were just like going through the types of Jews, <laughs> and rock star Jew was not one of them. Like that, that's it's not even one worth bringing up because I guess Adam There's Levine a is a rock star Jew, a and, and Bob yeah. Dylan. There's two. There's literally two. I think yeah. that's it. There's, in the history of Jews, there's been two of them. I love when you say summer camp. Uh, you know, you, you, you talk about how summer camp is such a Jewish thing, and you go, you think anything with camps in it wouldn't be Jewish, <laughs> and then you then you observe that like Jews for some reason love to put their kids in places where they can mate with other Jews. They it's love like, it. It's, they even love if they it. don't care. That's what I've also found. It's like even you could be the least religious Jew ever and you could not give a fuck about <laughs> any spiritual tenet of judaism but you for some reason want your child to marry another jewish child and to create more jewish children right <laughs> you're not even jewish hardly and yet you want your kids no, to marry another I've, seen, I've seen people get in huge arguments with their families over dating non-jewish women things like that and and, and I'm like, these people are not religious. Like they don't, they don't do it. This seems no. to be the only aspect of Judaism that they care about is That's that right. you marry another Jewish person. But yet, really as someone weird. who went to a Jewish summer camp uh, myself, oh. I, you, you do feel most at home uh, when yes. you're at that summer camp, right? It is a, a tremendous feeling to be a kid. And to be someplace where you're not the outsider. Isn't that true? Yeah, it is a very powerful yeah, there is something about it where you, yeah, you you feel at home. You you feel in nature. It's like something something instinctual kicks in. Your yep. your your sideburns just start to grow out. Everything you get hairier. <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is, um, but yeah, just being around all these other Jews is very it's very comforting, and I think it really. I mean, summer camp in general, I don't know if like non-Jewish summer camps are like, as, like my summer camp was run by children. That is also like a recurring theme throughout the book because th there's this whole thing. We get lost in the woods and we almost die. But it's like, I look back. Amazing like, story, our, by the way. Our counselors were like 17, 18 and 19 and we yeah. were 14 and 15 and 16. Like it was like one year. It's like, you're not a camper anymore. Now you're in charge of the campers. And it's like, what happened? How did we get here? I love that story about you getting lost and. And you, and you point out the counselors are like two years older than you because I was a counselor on a Western trip. I was 19. The kids were 15 and 16. Yeah. I was in charge of them. And I'm like, so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> no. what, what, how can I be in charge of you? You should probably be in charge of me, but you act the no, part. And, and, and you, when you're that age, like there's fully 15 year olds that are more mature than 18 yes. year olds. Like you, you find that very often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. <laughs> You know, but, yeah, but talking wild. about a guy who I think will be upset, but you told the truth, you know, and, and this ties into this whole anti-Semitism and Jewish thing. You you describe a, a moment in your life where um, you, you run into Eddie Griffin in an elevator, yeah. Eddie Griffin, the comedian. And yeah. uh, you're not complimentary about his comedy as, as someone who did stand up comedy. And you are a funny, funny fucking guy. Uh, you say that uh, you're not a fan of his stand-up. You don't feel he's a particularly funny guy. Uh, you bash he him pretty good. Moments. Yeah, he, well, okay, again, he had his he moments. I, I would, I would put the asterisks next to that that he did go you know, scream anti-Semitic tirade at me. So yeah. it, it does, yeah. it does like tint your view of someone's <laughs> comment. What I perhaps. love about this story, I'm going to ask you to tell it because what I love about this story is I don't think he would think of himself 
as anti-Semitic. He thought he was saying something perfectly acceptable. But Seth happened to he talks about Seth talks about how he's found himself in elevators from time to time. And it's always awkward. And yes. this was a particularly awkward situation where you got you were about to get in the elevator with Eddie Griffin, the comic. Yes. And and he um, said, yeah. Yeah, no. Well, he uh, and, and, and I will this. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. So we were going to we were in Las Vegas for a hotel opening and and um, me and uh, some people found ourselves in an elevator with Eddie Griffin. And he um, went. Yeah, he 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 said, uh you know, they won't let, they won't make any of my, as soon as we got in, he starts going super bad at just come out. You know, right. they won't make any of our movies, uh, but they make all your movies because you're fucking Jewish, basically. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and he kept, Jews run Hollywood. How could Jews, you know, how could, like, you know, just a, a real Jew run, a real Hollywood Jew run. <laughs> and he even said to you, he even said to you, hey, Seth, why don't you tell some of your buddies there to make my movies? <laughs> yeah, tell some of your uh, Jew friends if, to make my movies. Some of your, yeah, some are you Jew? Did he say Jew friends? <laughs> I don't know how that we... might have been. That's yeah. I, as I look back, those are the words that ring in my ears. But um, well, that <laughs> might certainly get you a go see, right? That sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the well, truth well, is, I th- yeah. yeah. The truth up. is, it was a fucked up story. My wife was there. Right. <laughs> Who's also Jewish? <laughs> well, what's so insulting about it is, and this is, it's like, well, you got to, you, you know, I'm funnier than you. But the reason you get to be in the movies is because you and your Jew friends make all the movies, yeah. which, you know, I don't think anybody handed you anything in life. And uh, certainly you had to go and write a damn good movie because uh, the Jews were not going to be putting up money for your unfunny script if it was unfunny. No. So, uh, and as I point yeah. out in the film, Jew, the, the, the Jews of Hollywood are more than happy to make money off non-Jewish property. Believe me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, it's fucked up. You know what else I loved when you were doing your rant on elevators? The best thing. I mean, I laughed out loud. I don't do that a lot with books. So Seth's at the Academy Awards. Oh, God. And uh, Heath Ledger has died. This is yes. such a great story. And and this is a good because you point out sometimes how idiotic you can be. Yes. Uh, you know, you're not you're not just pointing the finger at everyone else. But <laughs> Heath Ledger won the Oscar uh, after his death. And For his Joker, mother, yeah. his yeah. mother went up and accepted the the Academy Award. And it was an emotional thing and this and that. Seth's backstage gets in an elevator. And who is staring at him in the elevator? But Heath Ledger's mom. And you walk in and you say, you know, I'm so bad at this shit, but I know I should say something. The woman has just accepted an Oscar for her dead son. I must find the right words. I must say the right thing. What did you say to Heath Ledger's mom? You, <laughs> I said, congratulations. Oh, oh, you wanted to say. Even, I think you see someone holding an Oscar, and that is your instinct is to congratulate them. That's looking back. I've obviously replayed that moment a lot of times in my head, and done a lot of work looking right. at myself as to why I would say something like that to someone. And the best I can come up with is you see someone holding an Oscar. It is your instinct to congratulate them. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, that was a very awkward. Uh, yeah, that was. Was very awkward yeah you get now yeah you find yourself in a lot of strange elevators but to well, the eddie griffin thing honestly yeah. i thought about it a lot and part and i was like if i actually thought this would hurt his career i don't think i would have read it or written mm-hmm. written it the truth is like being anti-semitic 
does not disqualify you disqualify you from having a fantastic career in Hollywood, which just shows that no, what he said absolutely. is not true. And like they also Mel Gibson is still already... he's still working away. Like yeah. Mel Gibson's been nominated. I think he made an Academy Award uh, nominated winning. I I presented an award. I presented an Academy Award to the movie that Mel Gibson directed. After he made anti-Semitic comments. <laughs> so to say, so like that is the truth of it is like in my head, I was like, I, I genuinely don't want to ruin anyone's livelihood. I don't think this will. But they also weren't already making his movies assessed. So yes, exactly. <laughs> nothing was going to change. I don't think this will help if I'm being honest. <laughs> no, the book is so, I don't but, think but, anyone's but, blowing off a copy. Of the, I don't think anyone's blowing the dust off of Undercover Brother 2 after this. <laughs> <being> like, huh. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting that you say that. You're right. Uh, you know, because when I was reading it, I went, oh, you know, Seth's going to get some blowback from some people. You know, I mean. Gary Oldman has said anti-Semitic shit. That dude can't stop getting nominated for Oscars and working. <laughs> no one cares. People don't care. They move right. on. They really don't care. I, w- I wish they cared more, honestly. But the truth is, like, they don't care. <laughs> By the way, we didn't even tell the kicker to the Nicolas Cage story. These stories are so deep in your book. The, the kicker was that uh, years later, James Franco did a character in a movie where he played a white uh, Bahamian or a Jamaican and Not then, even though he played yeah. just a white rapper, and then right. yeah. so Nicholas Cage summoned us. There was a movie he that he was attached to be in that we were maybe going to produce. So he calls us. And so no, so that's what it was before the meeting. We he was like, we got to call. It's like Nick Cage wants to talk to you guys because the last interaction you guys had left a bad taste in his mouth. <laughs> we were like, yes, we understand that. He got up, did a weird scene in a Jamaican accent in front of us. Uh, we did not like it. And then within a minute, he left. So I would also characterize that as a, a strange interaction. So his manager was like, uh, before you guys sign on to produce this movie that he's going to be in, we want to talk. Um, and we thought it was about the movie. We we were like, oh, yeah, we have some notes about the movie. Um, And we sit down and... Right away, he's just like, did you tell uh, James about that meeting we had, the Jamaican meeting? I was like, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. He's like, because uh, that guy in Spring Breakers, uh, was that based on the character I did for you guys? And I was like, mm. no, <laughs> absolutely not. I think it was actually based on like a Florida rapper. Um and he's like, oh, okay. And he very clearly didn't believe me. That was like apparent. <laughs> is that he? He was suspicious. I would say at best. You stole then, his great idea. Exactly. <laughs> I stole his great idea. And then we're like, so should we sit down and talk about the movie? And then again, within a few minutes, he's like, I forgot. I have something else to do. And he got up and left again. <laughs> so he and, met with you because he wanted to tell you you he guys that lifted his idea. The character, yeah. Um, and we and we didn't. But again, it was no. like it. it didn't disappoint and the truth here is the truth i don't think after this i would i actually don't i would work with nicholas cage again like of course you would truthfully i don't think he i wouldn't be surprised if he would not work with me in the wake of this book but i also would be surprised if he would because that tells so many he's a hard guy to nail (laughs) tells so many i was even thinking with this green hornet he was so wacky there was some guy i i didn't know the guy who he was but you wanted him to play uh cato in the movie oh steven chow yeah Stephen Chow, and you're like, great. And then he has a meeting with you, and he says to uh, Seth, I want, um, I want Cato to have AIDS in the movie. <laughs> no, he wanted to rewrite it. He wants, he wants him to pretend to have AIDS in the movie. 
Right. And you're like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? And, and you really wanted this guy in the movie, but he insisted on putting his ideas in. Was that the yeah, problem? He, he's, he's a writer and director. Uh, he made this film Kung Fu Hustle. He's made a bunch of movies. He's actually, and still to this day, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Like, right. And so I really was it, as, as square as the peg was and as round as the hole was, I was determined to jam it in there because <laughs> I just wanted it to fit so badly. But yeah, he, what I learned, yeah, is that his storytelling sensibility was very different from ours. And he was going to direct the film as well as us oh. play Cato at first. And so that's when, yeah, these notes started going back and forth. He had all these crazy ideas. There was another one that was funny where he pitched us this thing where, Cato was controlling the Green Hornet with like a suit that he made. Um, that's like a kind of a robotic suit that Cato can control with his mind. And we were like, it's kind of like the movie, like we don't want to be, it's kind of like ripping off the Jackie Chan movie, The Tuxedo. And he was like, yes, that's exactly what this is. What we're doing. Like, get on board. Yeah, you've seen it. That's what, that, that, so you get it. That's what I want to do here. Um, but yeah, he had an idea that Cato has AIDS or pretends he has AIDS to convince Britt Reed that he, has it by because they are because they are uh trying to sleep with the same woman um which yeah no i mean it's a it's it's a it's a confounding joke to try to explain but if uh, i can get philosophical it didn't work in the movie and we didn't do it ultimately (laughs) i I guess not i because we never saw it on the screen that 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 scene but 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 again i look back and i'm like would that have made the movie worse ultimately but would that what would have happened if we did that (laughs) it might have worked is the is the overall theme of one of the themes of your book this is why i took it that be careful when you meet your heroes in other words these are all people nick cage uh, you tell a great Tom Cruise story. I, I want to ask you a question about that. But, yeah. but all these people who are so successful in show business and have made so many good choices and so, you know, you admire their films and then you meet them. And sometimes it's great, yeah. but most times it's just too fucking weird, right? It's just, <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it, there's, it, there's so much weirdness. I'm thinking yeah. with, you know, with, with, with Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise yeah. is a great actor. And, and you know, Seth, Seth tells this great story in the book how he gets a call that Tom Cruise is now thinking he wants to do comedy. Yeah. Seth's like, what the fuck? I mean, Tom Cruise, I mean, you know, what, what am I going to do with this? But he decided because of your, your your string of hits, let me meet with Seth and he'll put me in a comedy. And the comedy really to. is, the, the real, yeah, yeah, the real comedy is what happened when you went to see Tom Cruise, first well, of all, <laughs> this is the movie. I, I hope they make a movie out of your book. Out I do. Of this. It's like a My Dinner with Andre type of thing. Oh, my yeah. God. It's so great. First of all, I love that you had a pee so bad that you peed into a Snapple bottle to meet yes. with Tom Cruise. And you're right. The guy, you, 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 tell, you tell the story. Tom Cruise has fucking cameras all over his property. He does. <laughs> There's probably video of you pissing into a Snapple bottle. There is. I peed in Tom Cruise's. Yeah, I was driving up to his house. I had to pee so bad, um, and I didn't want 
I was nervous to meet him anyway, and I didn't want to meet him and be like, hi, nice to meet you. Can I pee? Can I use your bathroom? I just, it was going to be an awkward first interaction. So he had this really long snaking driveway leading to his house. So I peed in it. I, I, I stopped halfway up the driveway, kind of in the woods, uh, above Sunset Boulevard, and I peed in a Snapple bottle in my car. Um, and then I, uh, sealed the bottle and, and left it there and went on to have a very absurd meeting with, with Tom Cruise, but uh, to get to the end of yeah. So then as I was leaving the meeting, I was snaking back down the driveway and I, as I was passing the exact spot that I peed in, I noticed a red light in the woods and looked and there was a security camera literally pointed exactly where I was peeing in the snow. I felt your pain on that one. I love it. And the meeting was so it. bizarre. I hope it's I in a too. file of, of Tom Cruise's blackmail uh, tape somewhere. <laughs> but the meeting, was so, the, the, the meeting, meeting was, was so bizarre. The meeting was so bizarre. Yeah. Because I've talked to people who know Tom Cruise and have hung out with him, and they say yeah. he never proselytizes. In other words, you know he's a Scientologist, but he doesn't really try to push it on you. But your story is the exact opposite. That, he, that you're in this meeting and he really was trying to sell you on the religion, why his religion was the best, which is such yeah, an absurd he really, argument. Yeah, the, 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 I'll never forget the wording he used because I also have thought about applying it to other religions and how funny it would be. But yes. he, so yeah, we had been meeting with him for a long time, a few hours. We've been talking and he was. And he's, and again, I say, like, I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. Like, I fucking love Tom Cruise. Like, I see every Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> like, right. I go to theaters. I can't wait. He, that man is determined to die on camera for our yes. entertainment. <laughs> and, he does not disappoint. And, I am, and I'm okay right. with that. <laughs> yeah. like, and this meeting, is, by the way, was at the time when he was married to Katie Holmes and he yeah, just had so a baby with her, right. Surrey. Right. That was right when this meeting was, was like, it was at the peak of Tom Cruise. Like, I mean, I use the word mania in a very literal sense, I think. In but this, mania too. But, but Seth, mania too, because he had also just jumped on the couch with Oprah. Exactly. And it carried was, it on was his manic. Um, yes. Yeah. He, he, the Oprah thing, it just, and, and also in the time I met with him was there was this very weird period where he had had his child, but no one had seen his child. And there was, <laughs> genuine speculation as to whether the child was real. Um, and it was the kind of thing where, like, I'd be on red carpets and, like, the joke question reporters would ask me, like, have you seen Baby Suri? Like, it was this fucking mystery, you know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, we got this call to go meet with Tom Cruise and 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 during this time. And so I got up there and I, I had met Katie Holm, but there was baby. I met baby Surrey, which was weird. And, and it was like she was kind of like the most talked to. And I remember meeting this baby being like this poor baby doesn't know this is like she's like the most talked about person on the planet, <laughs> which is a lot of pressure. Yeah. Uh, and they, she just got guys pissing in their car in the driveway. Like, what a terrible life. This. <laughs> it's uh, weird, but yeah. it's weird. So, yeah, we met with him for hours. And not a few hours into the meeting, he goes, this Scientology stuff comes up, how weird he's looked in the press lately, kind of how, uh, yeah, just how strange yeah, but, in general but he he's said, coming across. But he said, what you said in the book was fascinating. He said, the press is trying to make me look crazy because I'm costing the pharmaceutical industry so much money because he's yes. against... Um, you he's know, pharmaceuticals. Psycho, right, yeah. right. He's against the any kind of uh, intervention medically with that kind of shit. Uh, yes. Against these psychiatric yeah, drugs, etc. He thought that, which was an odd conjecture to make. Um, right. That and and 
and yeah, that was a surprising thing to hear. Yeah, he said, I think the pharmaceutical industry is making me look bad. Um, yeah. And then he said, you should see what they do to my friend Louis Farrakhan, which was a shocking. What? <laughs> right, right, well. right. <laughs> He's friends with Louis Farrakhan. Wow. You know, great. (laughs) The media is really out to get Louis Farrakhan, not because of anything he says. The pharmaceutical industry hates him. Um, And then he said, and then, yeah, the wording goes, and it's like with Scientology. He said, if you let me just tell you what it was really about, if you let me just give me like 20 minutes to like really just tell you what it was about, you would say, no fucking way. No fucking way. I remember being like, I, I remember, like, the wording was, I was like, is that a good thing to be saying? Is that a <laughs> yeah, bad thing that to mean? be saying? <laughs> and I remember it's like, like if, I, if you let me tell you about Jewish people, you would say, no fucking way, man. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> um, and then I remember there was this very, like, loaded moment where he says this to us. If you just gave me, like, 20 minutes to tell you about this, you would say, no fucking way. And me and Jen are looking at each other, and I'm like, is he going to bite? Am I going to bite? Are we, how, can we come out of this? Are we strong enough to have him? <laughs> do this to us and not be converted i don't know if i am i i i'm a weak i'm generally a weak-willed weak-minded person i would assume on the grand scale of people i can if they got him they, how, what chance do i have you know um and thank god judd was like eh, i think we're good like let's just talk about movies and stuff like that I was like, right oh, woof, dodge that bullet yeah. isn't it amazing how you can get sucked into stuff because you know thank God, Judd, Judd Apatow you're talking about. Judd was with yes. you because he was strong enough to say, listen, let's just talk about the movies. Because sometimes yeah. around a big star, you're kind of like, okay, man, I better become a Scientologist. Uh, no, exactly. I, I see the temptation. If I was there alone, <laughs> yeah. I would, I'd be singing a very different tune right now. I'd be telling you that Xanax is poison and that you know, your things are the problem. <laughs> Seth, when I was reading this book, he said, I wonder how difficult it is for Seth to negotiate Hollywood in the sense that you see so much comedy and absurdity. In these meetings you take and the people you meet, it's got to be a weird industry. Like on the one hand, you love your industry and you love telling stories. But on the other hand, it's like everyone seems fucking nuts in the book. You know what I mean? There's so much nuttiness. Yeah. I don't know any other industries, so I don't know if it is any. I assume it's more eccentric than I like. I don't know if like, you know, the finance industry, like there are other industries. But it has to be crazy. I was thinking about that. I talk to guys in in like so-called straight businesses, even like lawyers and stuff. They tell me everybody's fucking nuts, too. So exactly. I I guess I guess it's just the absurdity of any business or, you know, it's just like when you were talking about going to meet with I mean, you went to the to the pinnacle. Spielberg and George Lucas. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know all these meetings that you had and everything, but of course, I mean, when you have, when you make hit movies, you get to beat the big guys. Yeah. And you know, I guess on some level, if you're like me, you go, George Lucas must be the most amazing together guy on the planet. And so when you walk into a meeting and he's spouting the kind of stuff you point out in the book, you gotta say to yourself, my, my whole illusion, like, who's running the world? I mean, if, if George Lucas <laughs> well, is. Like- it, it's true. And it's something that it's like, I, uh, it, it's a, it's a thought that I had had. It's, I started so young that I assume, I always assumed it's cause I was younger than everyone that 
every, I, I thought that there was something I was missing. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm 16 or 17 or 18. I was a writer on a TV show when I was 18 years old, 19, and I'm surrounded by 30, 40, you know, people who are very brilliant, but people who I would look at sometimes just the older people I was surrounded by and how they were navigating their lives. And I'd be like, they don't seem to know a lot more than anyone. <laughs> they just are older. That's a great revelation. I wish I had had, Seth, I wish I had had that re- revelation at a young age because I believe they knew something, you know, I would yeah. be like, yeah, well, they I must know. I did until recently. Honestly, I also did. I, I was telling myself like, you're missing something. Like you, you, you're just, there is a thing. You're not getting it. And truthfully, I think only in recent years um, was I was I when I became the age of the people that I was surrounded by. I now, you know, Judd I think was in his early. I'm like almost forty now. I remember when I met Ben Stiller for the first time. He was like thirty five, maybe or something like that. Like, um, and these guys seem so old and to me, which was is so funny at the time. But but now that I'm that age and older, I'm like, oh no, I was right. That no one knows shit. And it's right. actually something that comes up in the Obama book, which um I had read, which and he talks about like, you know, you assume as you ascend to the highest levels of power in the world that you're going to be surrounded by smarter and smarter people yeah, I'm and he's to, like you're I, not he's like no. you get to the biggest the most important room there is in the world and you look around and you're like it's the same people like it's yeah. the same people have been around my whole life these people just have a much more important job that they are not equipped to do probably you know? is my memory serving <laughs> me right was when you went to meet with spielberg you had just smoked a joint right i mean yes you, we were very yeah, high, right yes <laughs> because when i read about you i go oh my god i sometimes feel like you're a guy going off the cliff i go why is he smoking a joint just you know I, he needs his like i'm i'm reading this thing like it's, it's, it's somebody else adding dramatic tension to the book yes, you know, no. like, he's oh, not no. gonna be I, able to deal with this i go this is gonna be a disaster and yet this is a big meeting we're talking about spielberg this should be important to seth he should sober up for this fucking deal and you're like no fucking way I mean, I mean, I read, I read this book, and I just my mouth hangs open. But why was Spielberg calling you again? I forget. It was. I mean, why did he call he you? He had an idea. Um, it's funny. He he wanted to make a movie about a video gamer who uh, used his video game skills to save the world, basically. Which was, and and me and Evan right. also were wanting to make a movie about that. Both of us wanting to kind of base our movies on this movie, The Last Starfighter, which the the rights are you can't get the rights for it um but that was the original idea was he he was kind of pitching us on that and we were already kind of independently working on a a similar idea so in the end we kind of went off and did our own ideas but what's funny is that a few years later the same year he released ready player one which is essentially about that and we had this show future man which is also essentially about that so we did go off and make our own things but yeah i had this meeting with uh steven and um and he came into the meeting with george lucas like which was mind-blowing like for a film right. fan, it's truly like the most miraculous thing you could ever experience. Yes, and then and um, then Lucas was then wearing. Lucas you said Lucas is wearing a, a denim, an all denim outfit. You said all denim, <laughs> head to toe denim. 
and it blew your mind. A lot of very rich men seem to settle into that. I don't know why. I see Jay Leno wearing that. I see. I see. It seems to draw when you hit a certain level of wealth. You're just like, fuck it. I'm going all denim. I don't want to think about this shit. I got other things on my mind. I just head to toe denim. It's a bad look, isn't it, Seth? It's like when I see Jay Leno in it. I'm, I'm, you know, I see him with the denim shirt and the denim pants, and he's working on his fancy cars. I'm like, dude, you gotta, you gotta mix and match. Wear the denim pants, but not on top exactly. of the denim shirt. No right. one's, no one's knocking denim. It's just there's, a, there's too much denim. You could have too much <laughs> denim. Um, do you think, so yeah, do you think Spielberg to... was annoyed that you show up higher? He had no idea you were high. You, you concealed it pretty well, right? I mean, you didn't. Uh... Uh, he had no idea, and he seems to not care about that stuff. Honestly, right, right. in a way, I thought maybe he did, but he seems to not care. <laughs> right, and and, and 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 why was Lucas so weird? It was like I forget what he said to you. But it, was, it was he like, thought? Um, it was uh, he thought it, it was bef- it was. I think it was either late 2011 or early 2012, and I don't know if you remember at the time, people thought maybe the world was going to end in December of 2012. There's right. a there's a movie about it that came out. Um, the Aztec calendar, I believe, or ends in that year, and that is yeah. where this philosophy came from. But yeah, so we sit down. And George Lucas, uh, Steven Spielberg takes a call, so he's kind of busy doing something. And me, <laughs> he's and heard Evan, this already. Uh, exactly, uh, it kind of <laughs> yeah. felt like that. So and me and Evan are uh, are alone, sitting with George Lucas, and yeah, he instantly goes into. I feel like the conversation was this abruptly. We were thrust into it this fast. How's it going? Not great. 2012 is coming, and the world's gonna end. <laughs> <laughs> Which <laughs> great, great starter, like great opener. Um, Ready to go, yeah. And again, I think we thought he was joking, and he claims to be joking. Like he he says he was joking, but mm-hmm. nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing about the conversation implies that there was any humor to it in any way, shape, or form. He really seemed to think the world was going to end in 2012, and. Yeah, and at which point, and to this day, I am confused by this and do not know the reality, but he implied he had a spaceship. That was the implication, was <laughs> that, that was in, in preparation for this event in 2012, there was an implication that he had some sort of contingency plan to leave the planet. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and it's a weird thing when someone tells you that, but then you're looking at, you're looking at him and you're like, if anyone, Maybe has a spaceship. It's a billionaire who's obsessed with space. <laughs> like who? Who else? Maybe has their own secret spaceship. And like maybe it's, I, it seemed believable, honestly. And, and maybe that's why he sold the whole Star Wars franchise to Disney maybe because to nothing mattered anymore. Yeah, he had to build the spaceship. He needed the dough. He needed liquidity to build the spaceship. Maybe the spaceship builders were like, "We need cash. We need we need two billion dollars cash to construct this thing." What happened? happens in that moment is your whole reality shattered in other words are you like jesus christ this is the guy who invented star wars and he's talking about possibly having a spaceship to escape the planet earth you know this is what you talk about in the book you say 
people in Hollywood have invented their own reality. <laughs> they're getting away with it. <laughs> no, it, it, they're no. living it. <laughs> By the they way, did he ever tell it. you where he was going to go? Like, was he going to go to the moon or Mars? <laughs> I, I mean, wonder what the plan was. <laughs> yeah. to just go and just kind of watch Doc Doc somewhere off Earth. I was kind of mad. Were at he, you. Was he offering would, you a seat? If he's telling no, you the specifically, world is so end. that Robin, thank you. That was the culmination. Was we 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 Evan, my partner, jokingly was like, "Could we get a seat on it?" And he said no, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is what made me think it was not a joke. Because if you were joking, you'd probably be like, "Yeah, sure, you have a seat. Yeah, sure, you, well, you can have the best seat. I'll give you a the, the front. You can drive the fucking thing." But instead, he like very seriously was like, uh, "No." <laughs> You're certainly not going to collaborate with a guy who won't give you a seat off planet Earth in the, <laughs> no, in the middle exactly. of it. I mean, fuck you. I mean, what, what, he, what is he talking about? I, I don't know how big this spaceship is he's built. Maybe it's small. Maybe there's very few people. Maybe this yeah, guy's know. got like 50. There's room for five people. I don't expect this. I, th- you know, if anything, I was angry with you. I thought the book was going to then be, and now I'm going to tell you about the next five years that I sat with George Lucas and played exactly. my <laughs> <from Earth. laughs> By the way, your book, <laughs> this wonderful book you wrote, is not really all about just celebrity stories, which th- this thing is chock full of, but also uh, growing up. I am really kind of amazed by your ability at 12 years old to get up on a stage and start to do stand-up comedy for people, and and you know. You write about your original jokes because what do you write about when you're 12? You wrote about your grandma and grandpa because, you know, you thought they were funny and you were someone told you, hey, whatever irritates you most, write about. And you were irritated by your grandparents. They weren't particularly into you. (laughs) So like, 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 like me very much. (laughs) Your original act was pretty fucking good at 12 years old. I mean, uh, thank you. It's yeah, out there. Yeah, I think it's on you. I think the show I'm referencing is literally on YouTube somewhere also. Which yeah, I is think like I've weird, seen it. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, my grandparents were, were tough people. Um, yeah, my grandfather was, uh, he played football. He was in the Navy. My grandmother was, yeah, she doesn't know where she was born or when <laughs> she was, <laughs> yeah. she was born like literally in like a caravan fleeing like the Cossacks. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, they were like tough people who, uh, yeah, like they, they uh, were no nonsense and they did not mince words. They would swear. My grandmother would steal everything. That's like a big, but she was like, uh, every time if we went to a restaurant and you'd be like, this is a nice plate. And then you go to her house and she would have the plate. Like she just would, she would jack everything like <laughs> knives forks silverware my grandfather would literally empty the napkin uh things from mcdonald's the entire thing he would take uh, like 200 napkins and just take them out to his car and put them in a box and he's just like well they're, they're free like it was uh yeah it was a wild life but uh yeah i wrote i wrote my first jokes about them <laughs> and you know you talk about stand-up comedy and uh, there's a heartbreaking uh mention in there about how one night you were, I don't know how old you were at that point, but you were doing stand up and, 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 uh, you know, and some nights were great and some nights weren't so great. But I don't know where you were, but it's one of these nights where Seinfeld, at the height of his oh, yeah. popularity of the TV show, decides he wants to go to, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I actually had flown to LA, um, for my first, I'd been to LA, but never to do comedy. So I think I was 15 years old and I flew Jeez. to LA to do stand up to audition for the Just for Laughs, uh, comedy festival, which is a Canadian festival, but still, the auditions were in Los Angeles, which was weird. And so I had two shows. I had a show at the improv and then I had a show at the comedy store. And 
I mean, it, I like literally grew up watching like an evening at the improv. Like it was one of the reasons I wanted to do stand up comedy. It was like this legendary thing for me. And the comedy store, obviously, also I'd heard of my whole life, you know. Um, so yeah, I get to the improv. Uh, and because I have two shows, it's like early and it's the summer in LA. So it, it gets, uh, it gets dark late. So like it's still light out, which is always a weird time to be doing stand up comedy. Like you just don't want to be doing stand up when it's light out for some reason. And I remember being there. It's maybe six or seven PM or something like that. And I'm about to go on and it's a terrible crowd. It's like the room is like a third full with like day drinking tourists or some shit, you know, people who are just like wandered in and no one's not a hip room. Well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Not a hip room and no one's doing very well, but my time is approaching. And then right before I go on, my manager comes up to me and he's like, Jerry Seinfeld's about to show up and, and, and he's going to go. And then you're going to go after him. And I'm like, I'm going to go after him. Like <laughs> what? I don't, I don't want that. I, can, can he wait? Um, and they're like, no, he, he doesn't want to wait. He's just going to show up and buck right on the stage, basically. And I'm like, yeah. he's not here yet. And, the, and the, this guy's almost done. So maybe I can get up there before. And literally at that moment, I see like a 1950s, like fucking like Hitler's Porsche pulling up, you know, and like, and <laughs> probably was steps, Hitler's Porsche. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was. <laughs> and yeah. out steps Jerry Seinfeld. And literally like without, like, as they're, it's like he steps out of the car as they're saying like, and we have a very special next guest. And like he somehow has timed it in a way where like he gets out of his car, walks right past me as they are saying his name. He enters the room and walks onto the stage basically and just like destroys. And he's preparing for his big special. I'm telling you for the last time, which is like all of his best material, literally from like his whole career. So he's getting up there talking about missing socks and fucking horses and all this shit. Like literally like the most, the classic Seinfeld jokes, like the, the some of the funniest jokes ever written. And he's just like annihilating. And I was standing in the back, just like, Fuck this guy. <laughs> like, like, how dare he do this? To what you. a fucking monster. <laughs> but really, when you think about the reality of your life at that point, you had flown from Canada to yes. Los Angeles at 15 years old to audition. Have you ever met Jerry? Have you ever? Uh, yeah, I was on his show. I, I, I since right. then comedian. was on. Uh, I was on the comedian. I was on like the seventh season of it. I, he was not clamoring to get me. Trust me. <laughs> I think, I think Ricky Gervais has been on it eight times before I was on it once. It's always nice when you're on someone's show and you very clearly are like, you're so far down the list. Right. <laughs> like, I've never been more clear. They were, just, they were just like, really? We're at him? Like, how, how many seasons does the show have to be on? It's almost like I Jerry was him. saying to you, I don't really consider you a comedian, but look, no, we're, exactly. we're at the bottom. He we're at the, not, we, we've gone through everything. I have a car. At this point, the car, I just need someone to sit in the car with me. That is the more important element. <laughs> What was the car that Jerry selected for it you? It was like I'm a curious. piece of shit. It was like a bluesmobile. It was. It was like an old pop car. It was like a like he couldn't even give me a nice car. You oh, can see, like I'm not even gonna waste like a lovely car on this person. <laughs> Did it go well? I mean, or was it? Uh, no, it was a... very awkward. I would say. I think it really? was incredibly uncomfortable. Um, Did you tell was, Jerry? I would, I would describe it as awkward. Yeah, I would. Really? Say. I, Why? I couldn't stop sweating. I was sweating. Profusely, because I was uncomfortable. <laughs> but but Seth, you're such a great storyteller. How could this not have been? Uh, it just somehow that you guys didn't vibe, or were you still just having I the shakes? Maybe I think. we did. If you watch it, I would yeah. say it is a clear representation of two people who are not exactly vibing with one another. <laughs> 
And I told him the story. Yeah, and it's like, it saying. was like nothing. Like, I was like, you know, I was 15. And it was as though I was like, you know, I really like to drink water. Like, that was. <laughs> he was probably like, yeah, like, of course right, I yeah. killed. Yeah. And of course yeah, I, like, yeah, yeah, who cares? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I would think it he'd be. I I, said, the least interesting thing you could possibly say to another person. <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> You know, I have this amazing story that you like really impacted my life in a lot of ways. Okay, cool. Anyway, <laughs> well, it's that kind of honesty I love about the uh, book. You know, even when you're writing about your parents and your dad had Tourette's, which was yeah. uh, which was I've uh, you know, a little bit, but yeah, yeah. You said that in the book, but I don't detect that with you. You say you have certain. I'm pretty twitches. good at like uh, not. You know, at this point, I control it pretty well, but um, I'm fidgety. I mean, I, I do. I, I'm I'm constantly fidgeting with things. Also, <laughs> does that weed helps. relax the? You know, there's so Very many great so. drug stories, and <laughs> there's one horrible story where you decided I'm going to become a drug dealer, and I'm, I'm going to. I want to tell. I want, I want you to tell that, but 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 does weed, in a sense, relax the Tourette's? Um, yes. Yeah, weed weed relaxes everything. And like, it's funny. I was actually, I, there was this interview in the New York Times where my dad gave a quote. And he had never, it's funny because sometimes you read an interview about yourself and you see a quote from your own father and you're like, oh, he's actually never said that to me. So that's nice. But he talks about how he feels like weed kind of relaxed every cell in my body a little bit, which, um, which I agree with. Like, I think it does, like, 